It is a sacred evening, and it is a night that we come together with a sense of anticipation and excitement. Uh, I know certainly kids do about what's going to happen uh, in the morning, and I know a lot of families have a tradition of opening a single gift or opening their gifts on Christmas Eve, and it is a day to be excited about, but not just because of the tree and what's under it. Right. We have other reasons to celebrate here this evening. And it's a time of warm and wonderful traditions. Many of you uh, have them as our family does. If you've come here for any length of time, uh, you know we have a one million calorie breakfast that we always have on uh, Christmas morning. And uh, we always look forward to that uh, with our stuffed French toast and all these other uh, things that we put together. And I know you all will have uh, your traditional things in store for tomorrow as well. And Paul reminds us in 1 Corinthians 11:12, where he says, I praise you, brethren, that you remember me in all things and keep the traditions as I deliver them to you. Now, theologically, a tradition means a concrete precept, something that is immutable or unchangeable in Scripture. But there's also traditions surrounding different events uh, throughout the course of church history. And obviously, the most important event of human history is what we're commemorating tomorrow morning. Now, if you've been with us on previous Christmas Eves, you know that we like to incorporate some of the traditions surrounding Christmas into our service times and make the evening a bit thematic, if you will. And one evening in our mind's eye, at least on Christmas Eve, we piled in the minivan and we went around looking at Christmas lights, uh, the lights in Scripture. We even drove all the way out to Psalm Springs to see what the Psalms had to say about the light of the world coming in to it. And we also, another year, open gifts, which is traditional at Christmas time, and we examine the matchless gift that we received in the person of God's only begotten Son. One year, we even wrote our own Christmas carol, and we added three verses to the many traditional things that are sung at this time of year. And because we know it's Christmas Eve, we know that there are going to be some men who are going Christmas shopping after this uh, <laughs> service tonight. There's going to be many who have trouble sleeping uh, for various reasons of excitement, some because of anticipation, others because of morning preparations and things of that nature. We also know that bikes and toys are going to be assembled late into the night, and somewhere around 2 a.m., the men will seek out the directions as to how to put that <laughs> together. Uh, men, do you know what I'm talking about? We've all been a long time since I put a bicycle together in the garage, but I remember those days uh, very well. But for this moment in time, let's focus on what Christmas is really about. What we really truly need to recognize about tomorrow as this glorious morning approaches. And listen, like we talked about on Sunday, it doesn't matter if he wasn't born on, on December 25th. It doesn't matter when he was born. The important thing is that he was born. And he was born for a purpose. And this evening, we're going to continue in our tradition of keeping some traditions as a part of our evening. And tonight, what we're going to focus on is the Christmas list. That is our title for our time together this evening. And our list is going to be a bit different than the usual Christmas lists that float around at this time of year. It's not going to be a last-minute to-do list, things we have to have done before we go to bed. It's not going to be another run-through, the list we've looked at a thousand times to make sure we didn't leave anyone off of the gift list. It's not even, even going to be a review of the list of what you're 
hoping is going to happen in the morning inside those wonderfully wrapped boxes. The Christmas list we're going to examine this evening is what happened because the child was born and what happened because the son was given. And there are countless things that we could put on our Christmas list, but we've narrowed it down to four, and they are crucial uh, for our understanding here this eve of Christmas morn. So would you pray with me, please, as we seek the Lord's blessing on our time together. And Father, we are so grateful that you did send your son and that he came and that he lived and that he died and that he rose and that he ascended and that he is alive forevermore and seated at your right hand in the place of majesty on high, living his intercession for us. So Lord, I pray that this evening we would see the big picture of the Christmas story and not keep Jesus in the nativity scene or tucked away in the manger, but rather see him and what he accomplished when he came for each of us and all who believe. And we pray these things now in Jesus' name, amen. Now, four things real quick here this evening, and I'll send you on your way to celebrate your family traditions. And the first thing that the Christmas list or Jesus coming put on our list is that the God of the Bible proved his word to be true. Now, we talked a little bit about this on Sunday, but we have to remember that the Christmas story is a lot bigger than that scene that captures it or seeks to capture it in what we call the nativity scene. At the time of Jesus' birth, the world was just like it is today, filled with various religions that attempted to fulfill man's spiritual void, the God-shaped void some have called it. That's within each one of us. Many of those religions were polytheistic in nature. In other words, they believed in multiple gods. Others were pantheistic in nature, believing that nature itself or the universe was God. And we were a part of that. And we all make up God. And yet Paul tells us in Romans 1.20 that since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. And listen, creation itself reveals the reality and the beauty of God's design. And this is a, a revelation of God's power and how all things are so finely tuned and this universe is so balanced. And it even reveals, as Paul said in Romans, the triune nature of the Godhead and his attributes are clearly seen through creation. And the heavens tell us what God is. They tell us of his power. But Jesus came to tell us who God is, about his grace and his mercy, and how he had to manifest it in a way that none could deny by coming into the world as a harmless and innocent child. And I think as we look around at God's creation in the state that it's in now, grace and mercy seem to be rather elusive in such a time as this. Nature has often been described down through the ages as red in tooth and claw, noting the world is a violent place. It's a world of survival of the fittest. So Jesus came to reveal to man that God as a personage not only exists, but is a God of grace and mercy. You see, that's what Christmas is really all about. Christmas is a much, much bigger story than what's captured in the month of December. In Colossians 1, 15 to 18, we're told he, Jesus, is the image of the invisible God. He's the firstborn over all creation. Firstborn as a title, by the way. It doesn't mean he was born first. For by him all things were created that are in heaven and that are on earth, 
visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions, principalities and powers. All things were created through him and for him, and he is before all things, and in him all things consist. And he, Jesus, is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he may have the preeminence. Now listen, what all those twists and turns linguistically mean is that God in visible form is Jesus Christ. That's why he was prophesied as coming as Emmanuel, God with us. He is the God who created all things with the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, triune nature of God, and in him all things consist. And the word consist means to hold together. And I am thankful that God is holding us together because this world has fallen apart. And it's getting more bizarre and worse by the day. And in this world of pandemics and variants and violence and chaos, grace and mercy are on the Christmas list. And this is something we need to focus on, not just at this time of year, but always. And the one who made everything and holds everything together came into this world as a helpless infant and for 33 years lived in a human body. And while in that body, he healed the sick. He raised the dead. He knew people's thoughts before they spoke. This is one of my favorite parts of the New Testament. When Jesus, it says, Jesus answered him when nobody had even said anything. Oh, that's because he's God. He knows all things. Amen? And he defied the laws of nature. He walked on the sea and calmed the wind and the storm simply with the phrase, peace be still. Why did he do all this? To present irrefutable evidence of the existence of God? Well, yes, but... The heavens have done that since the beginning of creation. And the Christ child came to reveal to us the intimacy and the personal aspect of a relationship that God desires with his children, as well as display the grace and mercy that he offers to all mankind. Remember, Jesus, as he grew and as he began his ministry, he'd go into towns and heal every single person. He would heal every single person in a town to display the love and the compassion that God has on this, this fallen world. And the second item on our Christmas list that we received when the babe in the manger entered into the world is this. Listen, the meaning and purpose of life became clear. This too is part of the Christmas story. It's the revelation of the meaning and purpose of life through the personage of Jesus Christ coming into the world in the likeness of sinful flesh and thinking people throughout history and into our day have all posed this question, where did we come from? What is the purpose of our existence? Or even, is there a purpose for our existence? Many today find it popular to think, and maybe to them comforting, that at death, after death, there's nothing. Well, Jesus came to prove otherwise. He was born at a time when Greek culture dominated the landscape, and Socrates and his disciple Plato had left their mark on philosophy and ethical conceptualizing. And it was an age of deep thinkers, even as Paul mentioned in the book of Acts in chapter 17, where he spoke of certain Epicurean and Stoic philosophers, Luke writing that is, encountered him, Paul, and said, what does this babbler want to say? People think we're babblers today too, don't they? Others said he seems to be a proclaimer of foreign gods because he preached to them Jesus and the resurrection. And they took him and brought him to the Areopagus saying, may we know what this new doctrine is of which you speak. For you're bringing some strange things to our ears. People think we see, say strange things. Therefore, we want to know what these things mean. For all the Athenians and the foreigners who were there spent their time in nothing else but either to tell or hear 
some new thing. Listen, the Christmas story doesn't change. And even though there's new things attached to it, the reality is the Christmas story is all about Jesus. It's not about the sleigh, the reindeer, the other things that we talked about on Sunday. And listen, if this life is all there is and there's nothing beyond this life, then life at its best is cruel and it's uncaring. And it's hardly consistent with even the songs we sing at this time of year about joy and hope. Joy to the world. We die and then there's nothing. That's not a very joyful proposition. But Jesus came to prove to us that life does have meaning. Life does have purpose. And the revelation of that meaning and purpose comes from the birth of the God-man who came into the world to reconcile man to God, as we talked about on Sunday. And thus the reason for our existence is made clear through him, through his birth, through his life, and through his resurrection and ascension. They tell us that there is much more that awaits us beyond this life. But even during this life, the Bible tells us in Romans 8, 28, that we know all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are the called according to his what? There's the purpose of our existence. God has a purpose for us, and it's revealed in the person of Christ. And listen, there are great things in life. I love being alive, don't you? I love life. I enjoy life. I think there's wonderful things for us to visit and see and experience in this fallen world, even as broken as it is. This is still an amazing place to be on this giant dirt clod hung on nothing in space except the power of God holding it up and together. And listen, there's great things to be had and experienced by people who don't know Christ because all that the Lord has made is good. But listen, nothing in life can answer the deep questions. The questions that go beyond that everyday existence. Where do we come from? Why are we here? Christ came to reveal the answer to those questions as only the one who created all things can. And to those who answer God's invitation to receive Christ as, uh, as Savior, the purpose and meaning of life is resolved and their search has come to an end. And in 1 John 1, 1 through 4, we're reminded that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and our hands have handled concerning the word of life. That's a title for Jesus. The life was manifested and we have seen and bear witness and declare to you that eternal life, which was with the Father and was manifested to us, that which we have seen and heard, we declare to you, John reiterates, that you may also have fellowship with us. And truly, our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. And these things we write to you, for what reason? That your joy may be full. Listen, that's why Christ came. To give man an understanding of his existence. And to reveal to him the joy of knowing God. To reveal to us the purpose for our lives. And to think you came from nothing and are going nowhere robs life of its meaning. It robs life of its purpose. And most of all, it's not true. We're not searching for first life. We know where first life came from. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. He created first life. He created all that there is. We're not wondering about where all this started. We don't have to worry about where it's all going because Jesus rose from the dead, ascended into heaven in front of eyewitnesses, proving there is life beyond the grave. And that's why we can sing joy to the world. What comes next? The Lord has come. come. You see, the Christmas story is a lot bigger than we think it is. 
And the third item on our Christmas list is also extremely important. It's kind of street level, if you will, one of those rubber meets the road type of things. But what we have to remember is that Christ came into the world to offer to mankind all the things that money can't buy. He came to offer to mankind all the things that money can't buy. Now, some of these things we may ask, for one, are forgiveness. You can't buy forgiveness. But also hope and joy and strength and peace. And listen, there's going to be a lot of money spent during this Christmas season, most of it with Amazon. And aren't you glad they can bring stuff right to your door and dump it off? You don't have to brave the mall or any of those things. But listen, all those things that come from Amazon or elsewhere are things that money can buy. But there are things that money cannot buy that Jesus came to bring and offer to us. Tomorrow there's going to be things that we're long for that are soon broken. Some may even make the mistake of buying that battery-operated gift, but not the batteries. I'm sure many of us have been there. Or as soon as the batteries die out, you realize you don't have a backup supply. And some of these things that were so longed for and demanded and cried for and pleaded with are going to be worn out and forgotten before you know it. But not what we got at Christmas from Jesus. In 2 Peter 1, 2-4, Peter says, Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord as his divine power, listen to what we got for Christmas, has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. Through the knowledge of him who called us by glory and virtue, by which have been given to us exceedingly great and precious promises, that through these you may be partakers of, what's it say? The divine nature. I guarantee you may get some good gifts tomorrow, but nothing you will open will have the divine nature in it. That comes from Jesus. Having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. And the truly important things in life can't be purchased. But they have all been given. A peace that passes understanding that is capable of guarding your heart and mind according to uh, Philippians 4, 6 in Christ Jesus. And listen, in a time of stress and trial like we've been in for the past two years, and they're letting us know tomorrow or uh, next year is not going to be a cakewalk either. Is there something you can buy that will grant peace to your heart and mind? No. Some may prescribe a pill, but pills wear off. Some may self-medicate to escape the moment, but then there's always tomorrow. And what Christ came to do doesn't wear off. It doesn't require batteries. It's the same yesterday, today, and forever. It's tangible, and it's permanent. And this is on our Christmas list. And there are things that money can't buy that Christ came to give us for free. And you don't have to go to the mall to get it. But you do have to go to the cross to receive it. You see, the cross is just as much a part of Christmas as the manger and the shepherds and the star. In Colossians 1, 13 to 14, we're told that he, Jesus, has delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us into the kingdom of the Son of his love in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. Listen to that. What great news that is, that Christ came to bring us salvation through the forgiveness of sins, and this forgiveness is freely given. And we don't have to live our lives wondering if the good that we have done has outweighed the bad, like many religions require and teach. I think we all know the answer to that question anyway. If our good works have been outweighing the bad works, and I think uh, the equation for us all is probably no. But we don't have to wonder if God has accepted us because of our behavior. 
because we are accepted in the beloved. And we are accepted because of the blood of Jesus Christ. And these are things that money cannot buy. These are things that humans cannot achieve. These are things that humans cannot accomplish or obtain. They must and can only be given by God. And they were through Christ entering into the world as a helpless child lying in a manger wrapped in uh, strips of cloth that we call swaddling clothes. Now one last item to the list of things Christmas offers and then you can be on your way to uh, begin the celebrations of this most sacred event. Listen, one thing we have to remember that Christmas brought us is access to a pain, suffering, and sadness-free eternal home. Christmas offers to mankind access to a pain, suffering, and sadness-free eternal home. Now, I know we talked about this on Sunday, but we ought to talk about it every day. Because there's nothing, I think, more important than what we're just talking about right now. As the end result of the body and blood of Christ offered for you and I, it allows us to face these times not in fear and dread, but rather with hope and joy. And we can sing with sincerity, joy to the world, the Lord has come. Let earth receive her king. Let every heart cry out and praise and glorify him as we've been singing these carols for the past month. We can do that and it's exclusive to us because of our relationship with the one who came and was born as a child and lived a sinless life and offered his life for ours. Now, I have to say, I've been around for a while. I've been living on this dirt clot for uh, many moons pass over water. And... Uh, since I've been here, but I have to say, I've seen some crazy things. Uh, I re remember just clear as a bell, the assassination of John Kennedy. I remember where I was, what happened with my mom and what she was doing and how just uh, it shook our nation tremendously. I've seen things as a police chaplain that are, are like a photograph in my mind that I will never, ever, until we get to heaven, be able to forget. But listen, in all my 35 years, plus, I have never, ever seen this world such a delusional mess as it is right now. Down is up, up is down, good is bad, bad is good. All these things we've been talking about. And you and I need to take comfort every day in the fact that this world is not our home. And that these conditions are only temporary. And someday all of this nonsense and delusional thinking and actions is going to come to an end. How do we know that? Jesus entered into the world as the God-man. He lived an absolutely sinless and perfect life. He then put, as we talked about on Sunday, into our account his sinless life so we can live forever with him. One of the things many Christ rejectors and Bible detractors use as excuses for rejecting God in the Bible is life. This life, it's unfair. Why would a God of love allow a child to suffer? Why would he allow the sorrows of life? Why would he allow pain? Why would he take a father from his children or a mother from her children and family? And the truth is, God told us this life was going to be like that. But he also promised he'd travel through it with us. And those who believe in him when they sorrow, they don't do so uh, absent of hope. Even in the midst of the difficulties we're all going through now, we still have a hope that is apart from this life and world, knowing that someday 
it's going to come to an end. Uh, today works for me. Amen. Collectively. Yes. I'm not saying I want to go home by myself, Lord. Just Amen. I know he's here, right? Amen. Listen, God said life is going to be filled with things that cause sadness. And that he would be near to those who have a broken heart. But he also told his sis that he so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him would not perish, but instead have everlasting life. And listen, the last time I checked, everlasting means last forever. And it's a life that's nothing like this world. And in John, Revelation, in Revelation, John says in 21, 1 to 4, that I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and first earth had, first earth had passed away. Also, there was no more sea. Sorry to all you fishermen out there. Then I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God. And John describes the city as prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they will be his people. God himself will be with them and be their God. And God will wipe away, thank you, Lord, for the word every, every tear from their eyes. There shall be no more hip replacements, there, no death, nor sorrow, nor crying. There shall be no more pain. Hallelujah. Why? For the... Do you know when this progression started? It started when shepherds were watching their fields by night. It actually started a lot longer or earlier before that, but it became manifest when shepherds were watching their fields by night. And... Uh, Angels announced the birth of the Christ child, a child who is Christ the Lord. And listen, I think we need to get our heads around the fact that Christmas is not quite the quaint story that it's become in these days. It's not about lowing cattle, shepherds, angels, and a baby. Christmas is about a holy God invading humanity for the purpose of rescuing souls from eternal death and granting them eternal life instead. That's what Christmas is really all about. And there are many who lay claim to knowing what lie beyond this life, but there's only one who's proven it, and that's Jesus, the Son of the living God. But not only has he proven it, he purchased it for us by dying for our sins so we could live forever with him. And listen, if you were here with us this past Sunday, you know we mentioned that uh, the Christmas story, as I've said, is massive. And it doesn't stop on December 26th. And it's not just about the babe in the manger. That's where the whole thing at least began. And while the Christmas story includes those things that we incorporate at Christmas in our decorations and songs, a manger, a stable, a male child, angels, shepherds, and wise men, the Christmas story also includes a cross and a tomb and a resurrection and an ascension to heaven and a return with his people to rule and reign on this earth. Now listen to this. This is a bit abstract, but it's true. The Christmas story is an act of war. It's war on death, war on sorrow, war on pain, war on suffering, even a war on the search for the meaning and purpose of life because all these things were defeated by the child born on Christmas Day. But also within the Christmas story and all the things that Jesus has done for us, there's one thing that Christ doesn't do, and that is force his way into people's lives. 
If that was his desire, he wouldn't have entered the world in this fashion. He wouldn't have come as a helpless child who needed to be cared for and nurtured and raised by his parents. He would have entered the world like this. I saw heaven open, John says, and behold, a white horse. And he who sat on him was called faithful and true. And in righteousness, he judges and makes war. His eyes were like a flame of fire and on his head were many crowns. He had a name written and no one knew except himself. He was clothed with a robe dipped in blood. And his name is called what? The word of God. This is Jesus. And the armies in heaven clothed in fine linen, white and clean. That's us, by the way followed him on white horses. Now, out of his mouth goes a sharp sword, that with it he should strike the nations. And he himself will rule them with a rod of iron. He himself treads the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God. And he has on his robe and on his thigh a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Somebody say amen. amen. Listen, if he came like that the first time, nobody would have been saved by his coming because he came to conquer. He came not to make war on the things we mentioned a moment ago, but to make war on those who fought against him. And John 1.12 tells us what this Christmas story and his declaration of war on the things we mentioned a moment ago means to us. Because as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become the children of God, to those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, nor the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. And this is why later in this same book, Jesus would tell Nicodemus, you must be born again. And he said to him and questioned him, Nicodemus, man, you're the teacher. You're the teacher of Israel. And in all your studies, you didn't figure out that you have to be born again. And you're teaching other people is what Jesus said to him. And listen, the reason we need to be born again is because we are born spiritually dead. And we need to be made spiritually alive. And you know what store you can buy that at? Not for sale, right? So where do you get it? You get it from Jesus, who came into this world as this innocent child and this, in these humble circumstances. And listen, one of the many traditions on Christmas list for most of us <clears throat> is singing and listening to carols as we have been this past month. And we know, as we sang tonight, one of them contains these words, joy to the world. Why? The Lord has come. Let earth receive her king. Let every heart prepare him room. Let heaven and nature sing. Listen, this is what we have to do in response to Christ coming as a child. He came for the express purpose of going to the cross to die for our sins so we could live forever. So the question on Christmas Eve is, have you prepared room for him in your heart? Because John would also say in Revelation 3.20, Jesus speaking, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and dine with him and he with me. Listen, what he just described is an act of intimate fellowship that he desires to have with humanity that is proven by the circumstances in which he came into the world. He wants to dine with us. He wants to have fellowship with us. He doesn't want to be some distant figure that simply is a non-participant in the events of our lives. He wants to be a part of everything that we do. But again, if you look at the situation, he's standing at the door and knocking. He's not kicking it down. 
He's not coming on the white horse. He's not coming to make war with the door of your heart and, and bully his way in. He's patiently saying, let me in. Open it up and I'll come. I'll come in and we will have intimate fellowship together. And listen, Jesus came, lived, and died to save everyone. But he doesn't force himself on anyone. But I can assure you that if you don't know him as your Savior and your Lord, he's knocking on the door of your heart right now. And listen, we can't have a Christmas service or a Christmas Eve service and not talk about the fact that he came to save. Because that's the whole purpose of his coming. He came to earth because mankind needed a Savior. And mankind was without hope. And they had no way to access heaven. Because no one can be moral enough. No one can do enough good works to outweigh the bad in order to live eternally with him. Because the entrance requirements into heaven is absolute perfection. And James says to offend in one point of the law means you're guilty of all. It means you're a lawbreaker. So again, Jesus came into this world to live the perfect life, die a sinner's death, so that we might be reconciled to God and have fellowship with him. So what we could not do for ourselves... He came to do for us. And he offers this gift to everyone, every day, all day. But especially, I think, at this time of year, we need to pay attention to his offer. But, like with any gift, the value of it isn't realized until it's open. So I hope you have opened the gift. Heaven and nature are singing, the Lord has come. And I hope that is making you sing as well. Now listen, if you don't yet know him, remember this. The answer to why did Jesus come is he came to save you. He came to save me. And that's why the prophet would write in Isaiah 9, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, everlasting father prince of peace of the increase of his government and peace there will be no end upon the throne of david and over his kingdom to order it and establish it with judgment and justice from that time forward even forever the zeal of the lord of hosts will perform it this is part of the christmas story you might be thinking hey you kind of slid into easter no easter and christmas are inseparable because easter is Part of the Christmas story. It's the whole point of his coming. He came to save sinners. And I find it comical that people say, you know, oh, you really shouldn't call people sinners. They don't like it. <clears throat> well, you are one. And you're in a room full of them. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And you see, this is important because before you accept the Savior, you have to realize you need one. And in order to realize you need one, you have to acknowledge you're a sinner who's in need of a Savior. And listen, this is the whole point of us getting together tonight. Not just to, you know, honor a tradition, even though I think Christmas Eve services are awesome. Uh, I love that we do this and have been doing it. And churches all over the world uh, are doing it. And I was talking to Amir this afternoon. And I was just wondering, what's, you know, in Israel, I don't think Christmas is real big over there. You know, there's not a lot of nativity scenes over there. Except for the real one. Yeah. You know? But he said, no, we have church tomorrow. We have church on Christmas Day. So everybody's got their own traditions. And, you know, there aren't going to be thousands of people packed into a country where there's only 20,000 Christians in the whole place. 
But listen, he's going to be honored. The king of kings is going to be honored uh, in Israel tomorrow morning. And we are here to honor him here tonight. Amen? Amen? So listen, if you're not ready for heaven and you don't know where you're going after you die, now's not a time to be messing around. The Bible says the world will be a mess when it's time for Jesus to come back. It's part of why he's coming back. He's coming back to fix it. First, he's going to correct it and judge it. And then he's going to fix it, rule it, and reign it. And we're going to do that with him. I'm sorry. Yeah, I, I personally, I thought that's kind of cool. We're going to reign with him. You know what? It's part of the Christmas story. Because you can't detach one segment of what Jesus did from any other because they are a package deal. So if you're not sure that at the end of your days, heaven is your eternal destiny, you can do that simply by being born again. And, um, you know, that's not some big complex uh, series of statements and documentation and any of these other things. You know, there's a lot of guys that like to lead people in the sinner's prayer, and that's what it's been dubbed. You know, there is no sinner's prayer in the Bible. But sinners ought to pray. Amen. And there is a recognition that one needs to answer the knock on the door. And I think a sinner's prayer is just as appropriate as anything else. And that sinner's prayer, if you haven't been born again, would be something like this. Lord, I recognize that I'm a sinner and you're the only Savior. And so I ask you to forgive me of all my sin. That I can have a personal relationship with you. And I am committing to you this night to live my life for you for all the days you leave me on this earth. So thank you for forgiving me and thank you that you have changed my eternal address from perishing to everlasting life. And you know, that's the whole deal. And if that is offered in sincerity and a true desire of the heart, again, he's not going to kick the door down. He's not going to beat you over the head. He's going to keep wooing and calling and knocking. And if you haven't opened the door, tonight's the night to do that. So... Would you bow your heads with me, please? Father, we are so grateful again for your word. We thank you for the wonderful things we have experienced over the years on Christmas Eve and just studying this story that, Lord, has lost its way in so many ways. Well, Lord, I thank you that we can see that there's a bigger picture than just that scene of a, a mother and child and doting husband and shepherds and wise men and uh, livestock and all these other things Lord you came into this world as its conqueror and for that we're grateful Lord so thank you for allowing us to incorporate the whole of the Christmas story in our time together and I pray that if any uh, have said in their hearts that they want to open the door to you uh, that they would do so in sincerity and truth that you would rescue their perishing souls and grant them eternal life as you have for millions and millions of others who have said that to you so we thank you for our time together. Lord, I pray that you would bless those uh, who are headed off to an event this evening. Protect them. Uh, watch over them. And uh, Lord, bless them in their time together with family and friends tomorrow. And Lord, I especially pray for those who may be uh, spending the evening and tomorrow alone and maybe without the one that uh, they will not spend their first Christmas with in many, many years. So we pray for the hurting as well. So, Lord, we thank you for this time together tonight. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.